Praise the Lord. I invite you this morning to turn in the Word of God to Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians chapter 3. I know normally when we are observing the Lord's table that we've been in the Song of Solomon. But with my absence for a number of weeks, I want to finish this epistle that we've been going through. And in the province of God, we come to the last three verses of Second Thessalonians. Trust the Lord will have a word for you this morning. He'll minister to your heart. He'll help you in your preparation to sit at his table, to remember him. And so, to help us in this, we read the Word of God and consider it together. Second Thessalonians 3, let's just read the verses that we're considering this morning. It's this benediction that comes at the end of the epistle, verse 16. Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace always by all means. The Lord be with you all. The salutation of Paul with mine own hand, which is the token in every epistle, so I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Amen indeed. Let's pray. Lord, we think of those that need peace today, some that aren't with us. We're praying for our brother Paul that you'd continue to strengthen him, give him peace of soul, and Jeanette and Paul David. We pray for others as well that need this, they need this peace that only Christ himself can give. So I don't know all hearts, Lord, but thou dost know some perhaps still feeling the weight of sorrow and mourning. They need peace. Certainly others are facing days of uncertainty. They need peace. Gracious God, we, we all just throw ourselves at thy feet. Command peace to thy people this day. Make this word run. Cause it to finding resting place in every single heart. Maybe there are some here that have never found peace in Christ, and they need to begin a life of supernatural peace by placing their trust in Christ alone. So then do that saving work. Fill me with thy spirit. Take us away from the mere preparation of man. May this be a message from the Lord. Meet with us, God. Send thy Son to stand in our midst, to command blessings, and may thy Spirit minister to every heart. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. On quite a number of occasions I have had the opportunity in the province of God to speak with men and women as they struggle to obtain salvation Their primary struggle, of course, isn't that they have no time for the gospel. That, of course, is something that we face at times. 
But in this case, and what I'm referring to, is this struggle of whether or not Christ will receive them. Whether or not Christ really can receive them. And though I present God's promises, remind them that Christ's willingness to save, His promises to save the sinner could not be more explicit. The struggle at times continues. Thankfully, we've seen much relief there as well, but you see this battle going on. A struggle to actually rest in the plain language of the Lord Jesus, whom they do not deny. They're not against Him. They're just struggling to believe. This experience, however, is not entirely unique to unbelievers. The struggle to really believe. One of the things we all struggle with, perhaps more than anything else, really, when it comes down to it, that the, the underlying troubles of our heart and soul and life comes down to our imperfect faith. Faith, of course, is a gift of the Spirit. When He works to save, that faith is always sufficient to save. Never has the Spirit worked upon a heart with the purpose of salvation, with the intent of drawing to Christ, and somehow the gift of faith given is insufficient to bring to pass a saving and vital union with Christ. It has never happened. And yet, the gift of faith is not given to you or to me at that point in any way that eliminates struggles from the rest of our lives. Christians go through waves of turmoil related to objective spiritual realities. For example, though their justification could be no more certain than it is, they struggle with assurance. Maybe you're there. Your justification could not be more certain, and yet you struggle with assurance. God's love for us in the giving of a son could be no more evident as we look at the cross, and yet you find men and women and young people struggling to believe God loves them at various junctures of their lives. Look to the cross, we tell them, and yet the struggle continues. And these things, as I've said, are objective, unchangeable, spiritual realities, and yet genuine Christians, not talking about fake, pseudo-Christianity, genuine believers that love the Lord can find themselves wrestling with uncertainty. And what we learned this morning, and what I trust we will learn this morning, is that the same is true in relation to peace. We can sing what we've been singing, and we can go to all the verses in the Bible that tell us of the peace that is given to us in Christ, that is guaranteed to every believer, and yet you may not really experience it at various times. Now, before I get to our subject this morning, I need to remark on verse 17, where we read, "...the salutation of Paul with mine own hand, which is a token in every epistle, so I write." This is placed in the middle of the benediction. Reasons for that, I can't 
I can only surmise, which I'll not get into because it will just be surmising. But you have here the practice of the apostle that as he wrote his letters, as he conducted this ministry of, of writing to churches, that he used the technical term referred to as an amanuensis. It's just a secretary with a particular duty of recording what is being dictated to them. And Paul used that. He used that service. He had someone, and you find it through his epistles over and over again, this, this record, this, this evidence that he is using a service, an amanuensis, to, to record for him what it is that he wants to be written. You have in one case where this amanuensis actually adds a salutation at the end of the epistle. This is in Romans chapter 16 and in verse 22, as the various salutations are given quite extensively at the end of that chapter, then we're told, I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, salute you in the Lord. That's in addition to all the other salutations that have come from those that are with the apostle and send their greetings. So that's what verse 17 is saying, and it's an important thing. Paul here is adding this as commonly it was done to help with authenticity. Of course, that was an important matter when you look at chapter 2, verse 2, when, just going back there to bring to your remembrance again, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us. So you're, you're getting communication one form of that communication is coming by letter and it is presenting itself as from us, but it is not. Fraudulent letters, fraudulent remarks that are ascribed to Paul, but are not from Paul at all. So authenticity obviously was a, a real issue, which is why then you have remarks like this where Paul takes and records by his own hand, the handwriting changes. And there's an authenticity, a help to authenticity there in him doing that. But, of course, our purpose is with the benediction this morning, which I want to spend our time in. And actually, the bulk of our time, I anticipate, will be in the first point, and I will skim through point two and three as we try to get to a close as we come to the communion table this morning. And I've entitled this message simply, A Benediction for Experiential Peace. A Benediction for Experiential Peace. And so, as we consider the first point, we see, firstly, the unique peace of the Lord. The unique peace of the Lord. Look at verse 16. Now, the Lord of peace Himself give you peace always by all means. The Lord of peace. It's actually an interesting term used here by Paul that you don't find anywhere else. Elsewhere in his epistles, you'll find him refer in Romans 15.33, the God of peace be with you all. Romans 16.20, and the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. Philippians 4.9, the God of peace shall be with you. And in his first epistle to the same church, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, but you don't find the Lord of peace, except here. Because in each of those instances, his mind is, is lifted up to consider God the Father. But here, his mind is upon Christ, and he refers to Christ as the Lord of peace. This entire epistle was written largely, for those of you who have been with us, you will know this, to address two significant issues that were unsettling the community, one relating to the Lord's coming, the other relating to 
those in the church that wouldn't work and I'm leaning into the rest of the congregation to provide for their material needs. And this was, this was causing this was causing a lot of trouble. Both of these things were causing an unsettling effect in a church that otherwise was thriving, a church that was growing, a church that was advancing, a church that was evangelizing, a church that was reaching the world for Christ. And yet, from the hub of where the work was functioning and where it was going out from, in that congregation there was great unsettledness. There was this uncertainty because of these false doctrines and this per practice, you see it both in doctrine and practice, therefore, merging together to create this uncertainty in the church. And there's a lack of peace. In any church where there is trouble, where there are concerns either of a doctrinal nature or with regard to practice, you will find that there is um, removal of peace in that church is what people are talking about. Instead of talking about the souls that are being saved, or the people that are being edified, or the good that's being done, or the missionaries that are being sent, or the men that are being trained, or the other answers to prayer that we might rejoice in, their minds immediately, when you first meet them in conversation, are about the troubles. So the congregation is being robbed of its peace. And so, Paul, as he prays, and gives this benediction, all that he is saying really encompasses around this desire for peace among the people of God. Let us see a number of things here. First of all, Christ is the source of peace, the Lord of peace Himself. He is the source of peace of peace. Perhaps the apostle's mind goes to the words of the Lord Jesus Christ in an event that no doubt he would have longed to have participated in, but that was one of the advantages of the earlier apostles that he was not able to enter into the blessing of, of the remarks of the Lord Jesus Christ in John 14, 15, and 16. And in John 14, 27, you remember the words, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Christ gives peace. He is the source of peace to His people. Now, peace can be found in other places. And you can look to other things that may give a sense of peace, but that is not what Christ offers. Christ offers a peculiar, a unique peace that is received into the hearts of His people, and they want no substitute. They're not interested in any substitute. Often at the end of the year, around Christmas, we remember this one who was promised to come the government shall be upon his shoulders, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Christ is the source of peace for his people. The Lord of Peace himself. Emphasis there. Paul's directing your mind, believer. He is directing your mind to the peculiar person of Christ for your peace, the Lord of peace. 
that would be sufficient. That would be sufficient. But sometimes, sometimes preachers have to add what would appear to be redundant language to make a point. The Lord of peace himself. Christ is the source of peace. He is also the supplier of peace. Since peace is found in him, and he is the Lord of peace, and any real peace must be found in him and is flowing from him, then he supplies peace, which is what he says. The Lord of peace himself, give you peace. Yes, that's where you're to find it. You're to go to the source to find your supply. Child of God, this, this is not only a prayer. In one sense, it's an exhortation. It's an exhortation, just like the Lord's Prayer. Deliver us from evil is also, in a sense, an exhortation. Run from evil. Get away from evil. Have no fellowship with evil. Here he's calling upon the Lord, give you peace. Now, as we look at this, you see, first he supplies the objective peace with God. I don't think we should skip over this. Yet, I don't think it is the primary emphasis of, of what he has in mind, the objective peace with God. I think he has the subject of really it in his mind here as he prays for the Lord's people in this way. But we, we can't ignore it. We can't ignore. We can't skip. We can't just jump to the, the prayer for a subjective, experiential a sense of peace without realizing the source. Why? Why it can be? Why there is for you peace? I was thinking of the Psalm 85, where in verse 10, the psalmist says, Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Righteousness and, kiss, uh, righteousness and peace have kissed each other. I thought about that. I thought about how it illustrates the very point. The psalmist is looking forward. The psalmist is resting upon something that cannot be found in any man save the God-man Jesus Christ. No man has ever lived. There's been no event. There's been no circumstance in which you have the pulling together of righteousness and peace except in Christ where they kiss, where there's harmony, right from the beginning, right from the garden, where unrighteousness enters the world. You have the fall. You have the rebellion of man. You have the breaking of fellowship. You have the devoiding of, of communion with God. And Adam runs from God. Right from that moment, you have, you have no righteousness. There is no righteousness. There's nothing. And therefore, there's no peace. That's part of the reason why Adam runs. He's unsettled in soul. He's unsettled by the circumstances he now finds himself in. He runs from God. And so it is the entire history of man running from God, away from God, lacking peace, and never finding it. Never finding it until he finds Christ who supplies peace to his people. Yes, it is in Christ where we see the fulfillment of the law satisfying the demands of God's law. There you have righteousness, and that brings peace. Yes, because without the satisfaction of the law of God, there's judgment, there's wrath, there's condemnation, there's guilt, there's shame, there's hell. So in Christ, righteousness and peace have kissed each other. 
They're not just pulled together. They're not just found in, in union, but such as that union, they've kissed. It's wonderful. I'd love to spend more time just dwelling on that with you, but I, I must push on. This, of course, is what Paul is addressing when he says in Romans 5, verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is this giving of peace. It is given through Christ. If you, this morning, are without Christ, you're without peace. If you want to work backwards and you see the lack of peace, you see a want of peace that you've never had peace. You, you can never testify to any peace. And particularly as you think about your standing before God, there's a sense in which you wander. There's uncertainty. You don't know if you're accepted. You don't know if you can pray. You don't know if you're going to heaven. There's all this uncertainty, the foundation of which exists because Christ is not there. Turn for a moment to Ephesians 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Again, the same writer, the Apostle Paul here, illustrates so wonderfully this reality that Christ supplies the objective peace with God. Ephesians 2 Verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For He is our peace, who hath made both, as Jew and Gentile, one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in His flesh the enmity, there is his obedience. There is him fulfilling the law, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself twain one new man, so making peace, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which are far off, and to them that were nigh. So what does Christ come to do? He comes to unify. He is our peace. That's it. That's it. He is our peace. Now, this is particularly important, and I'll make some application in relation to this a little later, but it is important that we, we get a hold of this. If your peace is anything but Christ, it is unbelief. If you're finding peace in some other source, it is unbelief. The Spirit of God does not lead us to a source or supply of peace outside of Christ. But he also supplies the subjective peace of God. He not only supplies the objective peace with God, but the, the subjective peace of God. Now Paul is addressing believers, and he's praying that the Lord of peace himself give you peace. Now, if you're, if you're reading that, perhaps some believers, and I think about this sometimes actually when I greet people or I leave people uh, often in their homes or perhaps even at the church, I don't know all the occasions when I say it, but I know I say it regularly and I say it deliberately. I say, the Lord be with you. 
Now, there may be some believers, and I've pondered this sometimes, even as I've walked away, but some things you just, you don't want to explain. You know, it's like, if you have to explain it, it kind of robs something of the intent or the kind of moment of it. But what you say to them, the Lord be with you. And I sometimes wonder, you know, do they get it? Maybe they, maybe they wonder that I, I'm saying that because I'm implying that maybe the Lord isn't with them or that there's some want or maybe they're not saved or there's some other problem in their life. And I'm praying the Lord be with you because as I see it right now, the Lord isn't with you. <laughs> now, if that's the conclusion some come to, that, that's wrong. That's not my intent. When I say the Lord be with you, it is a benediction. As I shake your hand, it is a benediction that you would know it that you would know it. And so, as Paul says and asks for peace for them, the Lord of peace himself give you peace, they might rightly ask, well, well, we're believers. Is he implying we're not saved? Christ is our peace. Christ has promised peace. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. We are his. We have peace. What's he praying this for? Is he praying this for the unbelievers in the church? What's going on here? And that's why I say that this benediction is experiential. These things are true. They have the peace of God. And they have peace with God, I should say. And now he is praying that they will have more of the peace of God. That peace that fills their hearts and enables them to be aware of the objective truth. That I can tell you all day long that you have peace with God, you're trusting Christ, you have peace with God. But the heart is saying, I don't feel it. I'm not experiencing it. I don't know it. So he prays, the Lord of peace himself give you peace. So I think that's the emphasis. The emphasis is on the subjective, that which you can testify to. That which you can say, yes, I have it. I am, I'm enjoying it. I know it. How can we encourage this experience? I want you all, I want you all, all who know Christ, I want every last one of you to know this peace. I don't want every Lord's Day to be getting up and telling you things that bring you no comfort. Preaching to you things that are objectively true, they're real, they're undeniable, and yet you don't experience them. You don't feel it. You don't sense it. You don't walk in the enjoyment of it. So how do we help ourselves cultivate this sense of peace? First, we might say prayer. Prayer. Prayer will help you to enjoy and know something of this subjective sense of peace. That's what Paul's doing here, isn't it? So he sees a people and they feel unrest. They're a congregation who are in Christ. They have peace with God. Nothing's changed. And all the turmoil of the doctrinal issues and the practical issues that are going on in the church hasn't changed For one nanosecond, they're standing before Christ. But now they're feeling the unrest. They're lacking the peace. And and so what does he do? Well, he prays. He prays. Therefore, we 
draw from that that there's power in prayer to bring this sense of experience of peace into any sense of any set of circumstances. Doesn't matter what you're going through. So you can know, you can enjoy peace. You have to, believer, you have to have experienced this. You have to have had times where you're filled with anxiety and concern and worry about whatever, and you're driven to your knees. And as there you have known, peace fill your soul. That's what I'm talking about. We neglect prayer. We neglect a means that brings peace, a felt peace into our hearts. Truth also. Truth is also important. Remember our Lord Jesus in John 16 verse 33, these things I have spoken unto you that in me ye might have peace. So, so he's, he, John 14, he says that he's giving them his peace. And then he goes on to speak, 14, 15, 16, near the end of chapter 16, he says, These things I have spoken unto you, all that has proceeded, all that I have said, all the truth that I have enunciated and brought to you, I have spoken that in me you might have peace. And so there's to be this marriage. Our fellowship with Christ is to be bolstered and encouraged and strengthened by abiding in the Word, receiving His truth. Now we do that at home as we read the Scriptures ourselves, and you will know this, you will know this as well, that as you, you're going through trial and trouble and difficulty, you read the Word, and God gives you His Word. He puts to flight the concerns and the worries by His promises, by what He has said. And if you're not spending time in the Word, then you're going to be devoid of that. The same is true of the preached Word, the taught Word. The Lord Jesus was speaking. He was instructing. He was giving to His disciples this Word in order that they might have more peace in Him. And this is part of the ministry of the pulpit. It is to encourage you, it is to bring you to a fuller sense of peace that there you are amidst your circumstances, your doubts, your discouragement, your difficulties, and right from the pulpit, no man knowing what you're going through, God gives you a word. And you walk out, and it's different. So prayer, truth, and I may add to that confession, Sometimes what robs us of peace, felt peace, is a want of confession. Confessing our sins. Anxiety and worry, concern, doubt, discouragement. And underlying it all, the reason that it won't evaporate, the reason it won't dispel, the reason it won't go away, beloved, is because... You won't confess your sins. The Lord wants to make you feel His peace. He does. He's not some tyrant who has the supply, who has the means, the ability but is without the willingness. 
that he's like Joseph and he has filled the storehouses over all those years of plenty. And then people come running to him looking for help. And he stands there and says, no, you're not getting any of it. That's not Christ. The storehouses are full. The plenty is there. The peace is on offer. But sometimes, sometimes the problem lies with us. We're holding on to sin. We won't be reconciled to brothers. We won't repent to our wives or husbands. We won't put wrongs right. Yes, when thou comest to the altar... There remember that thy brother hath ought against thee. Leave there thy gift and go be reconciled to thy brother. Then come and offer your gift. The words of Christ. So we've seen that Christ is the source of peace. He is the supplier of peace. I want you also to note here that Christ is the sovereign of peace. Look again at verse 16. Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace always by all means. Always, by all means. What an additional remark to make. Oh, he could have put the period there. Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace. That would be wonderful. That would be wonderful. But he knows you. He does. Paul knows the heart of man. (laughs) He knows. And we haven't changed. 2,000 years have passed and nothing's changed. So you can say, the Lord of peace himself give you peace. And then what goes on in your mind is a whole kind of series of arguments that's tried to present, but my circumstances are different. That doesn't take into account what I'm going through. It doesn't apply here. It doesn't apply there. It can't be known in this circumstance. Preacher, you don't know what I'm faced with, what I'm going through. It exceeds any possibility of peace. That goes on, that goes on, that goes on in your mind. You try to make yourself an exception. You do. It's, it's not possible. It is not possible. Preacher, this ill health. Preacher, this family circumstance. Preacher, this, this financial position I find myself in. Whatever it might be, peace is impossible. That's, that's where you want to go. That's where you want to go. Lord of peace himself give you peace. If the period's there, that's what you argue. Paul knows you because he knows himself. And he says, give you peace always by all means. Paul believes that always Christ can give peace. By all means, he will grant you peace. That's wonderful. Isn't it? Is it not? (laughs) What more do you want, Christian? What more do you want? Ask the average person today, what do they want? What do you want from life? I just want peace. I just want peace. Just give me peace. I don't ask for much. Just give me peace. Christ is saying to you that what the entire world is pining after, the entire world would give their millions for. Through his servant, he is saying, The Lord of peace himself give you peace always by all means. Now we must be careful. As I've said already, 
that our peace is always coming from Christ because not all peace comes from Christ. Let me just underline a couple of things. First of all, we might say peace can come through false prophets. Can. We have that. Jeremiah 6.14. They have healed also the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. So you have false prophets going around telling you there's peace, there's peace. Don't worry, there's no judgment, there's no concern. It's like the person who says, you're fine, you're going to heaven. You've never bowed the knee in repentance. You've never cried out to God to save you. You've never done any of that. And they're saying, peace, don't worry. False prophets, false peace. And churches across this land are filled with people who have a false peace. They think they're going to heaven. They know nothing of Christ. They're told, perhaps even by walking an aisle, that's evidence. Did you put your hand up? You're going to heaven. That's it. No evidence, no walking with the Lord, nothing. Not a jot of godly life, of love for Christ, of prayer, of appreciation of the Word, nothing. No evidence whatsoever, but they're going to heaven. That's what they're told. False prophets. It's false peace. Peace can come through false prophets. Peace can come through misread providence. Misread providence. Yes, a sense of relief from difficult circumstances is not the same as Christ's peace. I've been there. I have been there. (sighs) I don't have time. I don't think I have time. But I have been there. Let me just leave it there. I have been there with a sense of relief. And I I would have said, if you'd asked me, do you have peace about this? I would say, yes, I have peace about this. But I don't. I have relief. I have relief. Which I am saying is peace. But it hasn't come from Christ. It has come from a decision I've made. A decision to get away from the difficulty. A decision to avoid the hardship. A decision to move the circumstances slightly to get out of the way of the hardship or the difficulty or the whatever it is that's coming my way. I have peace about this decision. Thousands of Christians, thousands, countless thousands of Christians have said I have, the, I have peace with this and Time tells. Time tells. Yes. You just hop forward five years, ten years, and you realize you made a gross error. You thought that the relief was peace. It's not. Peace can come through misread providence. Does Christ require perfect circumstances in order to give you peace? Does he? Does he? If that was the case, you're never going to know peace until you're in heaven. Because this world is a mess. It is a mess. Now we kind of get used to it. We kind of make our home here. We get used to the mess that we're living in. We kind of get numb to all the Garbage that we live with, both within ourselves and outside of ourselves. But if peace required perfect circumstances, well, say goodbye to peace until you're in glory. Christ doesn't need it. We've already quoted John 16, 33. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, he goes on to say, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Yes, when you're looking at the world and its animosity and its hardship and you're thinking, peace is impossible, Christ says, no, I've overcome the world. 
I have power. I am sovereign. That's the point. That's it. Look at the text again. I am sovereign. Paul sees him as sovereign. He will give you peace always by all means. He can't do that unless he's sovereign. And he is. He is sovereign. He has all power in heaven and on earth. And he has the ability to give you peace no matter what the circumstances. He is not hindered by anything you go through. He does not ever look at your circumstance and say, "Uh uh-oh, how am I going to supply peace to this believer in this circumstance? How am I going to do it? He never asks that question. never enters his mind. He knows exactly what he's going to do. He knows exactly how to do it. He knows how to supply it. Oh, beloved, this is wonderful. This is wonderful. I look at your faces, I wonder. Are you hearing it? Are you hearing it? Because if you're not in trouble today, you're going to be in trouble. You are. And you're going to be in such trouble that you're going to wonder, is it possible to have peace? And I'm telling you now, Paul is praying such a prayer to incite a sense of confidence in our hearts that no matter what, no matter what, peace can be sought and experienced by the believer. Give you peace always by all means. I was thinking of Samuel Rutherford, that Presbyterian minister of the 17th century. He was imprisoned. You know, many of you know, his letters are famous. You can buy a little book that has some of those letters that he penned. And one of those letters, when he's imprisoned, here's what he notes. Amidst his imprisonment, Listen, and it's written in January, so January in Scotland make for a very uncomfortable time in prison, let's say. I don't imagine they had any central heating or that anyone was coming around to keep him warm in any particular way. So here he is on a cold, dark, dingy January day in prison for faithfulness to Christ. And he writes, my prison is a palace to me and Christ's banqueting house. My Lord Jesus is as kind as they call him. Oh, that all Scotland knew my case and had part of my feast. Oh, that the entire nation was with me here in this prison cell and could have what I have. Isn't that great? (laughs) Oh, Yes. The Lord of peace himself give you peace always by all means. Secondly, very quickly, the covenant presence of the Lord contributes to our peace. The covenant presence of the Lord contributes to our peace. The Lord be with you all. I can't dwell on this. I've dealt with it in the past, not that long ago in fact. When I, I think I, from memory, it was a John 14 one, I think I talked a bit about this. But, but Paul, Paul, in 2 Corinthians, he, he, draws, he draws the Lord's people to see that what God has always promised to his people, he continues to promise to them. And it's covenantal. So he's bound, he is bound by oath to make this come to pass. So he quotes in 2 Corinthians 6.16, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. 
And some form of that is found from the book of Genesis all the way through the scriptures, right to the end of the book of Revelation. Some form of that language, it's covenantal language. It is God's promise saying, if you're mine, this is yours. This is yours. Can't be taken from you. It is yours. It is yours. If you don't have this, you can't be mine. Or I'm a liar. God's not a liar. So this is real. This is real for every child of God. And it's crucial to our sense of peace, isn't it? Isn't it the sense of the Lord's presence? Is that not what, what overwhelms us? Even at times when, when we're completely alone, we're feeling ourselves alone. All we need is the Lord's presence. You remember in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul, Paul had to experience this, the Lord giving him peace, helping him in a, in a time of great trial. He's having to give account and... We're told, he records the event in 2 Timothy 4.16. At my first answer, at my first defense, here he is. You know, you're someone standing before a court scene, giving a defense of himself. You don't want to be on your own, do you? You want to look like a man on his own, as if there's no friends, no one there to stand with you? <laughs> I mean, that in itself speaks to the court, doesn't it? This, there's, no one's with this man, no one. Almost makes an impression before you've said anything. My first answer, no man stood with me. So maybe you think to yourself, well, well, maybe. Maybe no one had the opportunity. Maybe they weren't allowed. Maybe they weren't allowed. Maybe it was part of the law, part of, part of the circumstances. They weren't allowed. But he clarifies, all men forsook me. They forsook me. They could have been with me. But they chose not to be. They didn't want to be identified with me. That's a lonely place. Imagine, you're, you're ministering with these people. You're, you're discipling them. You're encouraging them. You've, you've poured your life into their lives. Here you are giving a defense of yourself. So, will you be there, brother? Maybe some of them said they would. Maybe some of them said they'd be there. But when he actually got to the defense, he looks around the room. He looks around. Where are they? Where are those saints praying for me? Where are they? They're not there. All men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. For mercy for them, notwithstanding. You know, it tells you something, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Doesn't it tell you? Does it tell you Paul feels this sense of judgment that was going to come upon believers, the possible judgment for forsaking other believers? At the point of their need, they just disappear. They're not there. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Yes, there he was. And his heart sank as he saw no one's there. And then there came this unusual sense of strengthening of the soul. An awareness. A felt awareness that the Lord was right there. That's what he's praying for these believers. The Lord be with you all. That's what I'm desiring. 
if I, you ever hear me say the words, the Lord be with you. I'm desiring the felt knowledge testimony given to a sense of the Lord's nearness. Thirdly, the gracious provision of the Lord contributes to our peace. The gracious provision of the Lord contributes to our peace. Verse 18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And so encompassed in this final remark is everything. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Here's the full supply, everything needed, all that is found in Christ is given graciously, isn't it? It is given graciously. It is because of grace that we have all that we need and all that Christ has purchased for us. So you can think the grace of salvation, regeneration, justification, adoption, sanctification, all these things are all graciously given. No, he's saying, he's praying there for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. May all those things, all that is found in him, all the benefits of his redemptive work, may you know it. Not only the grace of salvation, but the grace of support. This ongoing support, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. May you know a constant supply of everything you need. So the writer to the Hebrews says in Hebrews 4.16, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. All the support is there. It's all there. So it doesn't matter what we're going through. Turn quickly to 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 4. So here you are this morning. Are you troubled? Are you? Are you distressed? Are you perplexed? Are you feeling forsaken and persecuted? Are you going through all these things? A sense of despair? Are these words, words that describe where you are this morning? Paul says, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. That is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ being with you. All you need in any given moment supplied to you by Christ. As we close this message and our thought on this benediction, it has, of course, its roots. Perhaps a much more well-known benediction. Something that the Lord gave to Moses, who then commanded to Aaron, this, this is what you pronounce upon my people. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. That's what the Lord has for you. Peace. Could there be someone here this morning and you, you actually treasure your anxiety? You hold on to it for some reason? 
I can't get into your head, but there's a, there's a logic, there's a, at least in your head, there's a, there's a rationale for holding on to anxiety and worry and concern. Maybe you think it's more pious to be worried, to be concerned. Or says, no, I'm here to give you peace. Maybe there's someone here and you, you truly are struggling. I say to you, if you struggle and you want to know peace, just take time, please. Do not ignore the place of prayer. Do not ignore the word. And do not ignore confession. Psalm 37, 11, The meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Yes, Christ gives us the joy of delighting in the abundance of peace. All those who meekly follow him. The Lord, help us. Let's bow together in prayer. Before we sing, I want to encourage you this morning to, even in these moments, just just pray within your own soul. You know what you're going through. And on the authority of God's Word, I tell you about the willingness, the willingness of Christ to receive you, to bless you with peace. A peace that he tells us in his word in Philippians 4 passes all understanding. Lord, we pray that thou wilt take thy word and do what no man can do. I can't, I can't give these people peace. This is thy work. I wouldn't even try. I pray that by thy spirit and by thy word thou wilt grant that in these moments and even as we sit at the table instill a sense of peace to the most unsettled heart. Draw near. May the Lord truly be with each one of us. May we know all the grace that is found for us in Christ. Bless us now as we sing and prepare ourselves to sit at thy table. Join us, Lord Jesus, we pray in thy precious name. Amen.